0: Red Sox home opener and we couldn't get out of the Fenway area near our campus and we were an hour late because of our own home game because of the gridlock of people in the cars. Yep. So eventually we got, we got over to the field and Middlebury was already there and their head coach Rob Pfeiffer had this big guy, high and tight haircut you know, uh, barking out instructions. We're a bunch of ragtag hippies. Picture me with dark hair, down to here, I love right it. in the middle Okay. And 70 then swag. Guy, 70 swag, yeah, yeah. Not anymore. <laughs> uh and, and Ronnie and Jemmy on the team. Ronnie uh, Ronnie Ronnie had this long hair too and had a beard. He shaved half his beard off before the game to pump us up. And Just... uh, I'm not sure what that was about. Yeah, shaved half his beard.
1: Oh yeah. wow, that that's quite the look.
0: It's quite the look. And lift off at dawn. <laughs>
1: The new era of American space exploration. Shall we head to my favorite planet in the galaxy? The planet of good vibes. 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 vibes. (coughs) planet
0: podcast
1: we are blasting off into the galaxy of good lives in approximately five four three two and one top of the morning folks good afternoon and good evening ladies and gentlemen welcome to the ham planet podcast i'm your host peter ham and if you're new to the show tonight love to see it you are absolutely in for a treat I want to say thank you guys for listening, watching, viewing, and subscribing. And if you're on Spotify, we greatly appreciate a good old five-star review. The goal is to get to 50 reviews. And if you're watching from YouTube, please make sure to hit that subscribe and like button because it helps the show tremendously. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight's guest is very near and dear to my heart. Now, students across the world can always reflect back to maybe one Two teachers really just had a profound impact, teachers that they really cherish. And I am very happy to say that tonight's guest is one of those teachers for me. His wisdom and his wittiness stand in a class of its own. And he is truly one of a kind in so many ways. Tonight's guest is a Culver Academy's legend, teaching and coaching at my alma mater, the Culver Military Academy for nearly two decades. Over those two decades, he inspired thousands of students and thousands of athletes to become the best that they can be, and he still continues to do so to this day. Guest is in the history books as one of the top 20 New England lacrosse players of all time, and he's a proud member of the Boston Lacrosse Hall of Fame. His teachings reach far beyond just lacrosse, though. And over the years, he has educated, inspired, and mentored coaches and athletes across all realms of sports. Of all ladies and gents, our guest is a best-selling author of his newest book, Coaching Zone, Next Level Leadership in Sports. This book is loaded with concepts, exercises, self-evaluation tools, and stories. Combined with insights from over fifty coaches, to help you expand your coaching wisdom and expertise. Y'all, not the biggest reader, but I must admit, this is a fantastic book that I could not recommend enough. Without a doubt, a must-read. And ladies and gents, I'm extremely happy to have him on the show tonight. Let's give it up for the one and only Doctor John. Jaeger, Dr.
0: Yeager, how are you feeling? I'm feeling great after that wonderful introduction, Pete. You you know, it brings me back to the time when uh, you were back at Culver and uh, we were, uh, you know, in class and on the athletic field and uh, brought back some wonderful memories.
1: Yes, I, um, I remember in your class, Dr. Yeager, you as a teacher were always very... Animated, you're always very charismatic. You you had a good uh, way of combining the two of those, and uh, that was one of the many things that I always liked about you. But um, Doctor Yeager, it's fantastic to have you here tonight, and I know all of the Culver family out there who's listening will definitely be excited for this one. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I've got so many questions that I want to ask you, Dr. Yeager. But to get us started, I'd like to rewind the clocks to young John Yeager. And I would like to learn about, Dr. Yeager, where did your passion for coaching, where did your passion for helping athletes become their best, helping coaches become their best, where did it really come from?
0: Well, I have, you know, one story that, that I reflect upon a lot in my life happened when I was 11 years old, okay? I was this little scrawny kid in uh, Framingham, Massachusetts, around 20 miles west of Boston. And uh, I was a runner. I wasn't very good at it, but I, uh, I liked to run. And I asked my dad if I could be in the July 4th road race. It was a three-miler. I'd never run that far in my life at one time. My dad said, sure. So he registered me. Brought me down to the, uh, to the starting line, uh, which was actually right where the parade was going to start afterwards, the July 4th parade. So he, he got me uh, all registered and I got out there and I realized I was the youngest kid by around seven or eight years. I was the only kid there. Everybody else was like 18, 19 into adulthood. And I could just, my body just froze and I just, you know, my, the stress level went up and, and I didn't know what to do. I wanted to run, wanted to flee. So I I looked over at my dad and he just gave me this incredible look of a smile, like your call, John, what do you want to do? He didn't say a word. He was just there for me right there at that moment. And uh, so I sucked it up, stayed on the line, the gun went off, finished dead last. I mean, the parade almost caught up to me. I mean, it was it was, uh, the, I could hear the fire engines blaring right behind me there too. But that moment really helped to crystallize for me, some of his mentoring of me, of, of really looking at, uh, of, of, of a notion of what I call, and I'll talk about it later, probably, this notion of psychological capital of, of, of looking at four really important characteristics. One is hope, you know, um, you know, Having pathways and agency to get there, and and confidence and optimism and resilience, and I think through my life since then, I've I've really used that as an athlete and eventually as a coach, and now today as a mentor
1: of coaches, Pete. So, um, Dr. Yeager, just curious, your parents, you know, you mentioned your dad, simply just gave you a head nod. And that was your sign that, hey, ball's, balls in your court, son. Um, I'm curious about your parents, Dr. Yeager. What were your parents like? What did they do? And could you tell me a little bit about them?
0: Sure, sure. Well, my dad is, my dad is, is uh, still, still uh, kicking. He's 95 years old almost and uh, really uh, flourishing. I love uh, lost my mom when she was 65 uh, back in the early nineties. But, but the thing is that with them extremely loving and caring, almost to the point of caring, you know, kind of keeping the apron string too much and not letting me do the things, you know, and, you know, just right. Extracurricular stuff and helicopter parents. Yeah. For, for social stuff in high school and like that. But I, you know, I, I, I I forgave them for that. And I, and I, uh, I love them dearly for the love and care that they gave me. And my sister and my father continues to do. And I, I, I think that was critically important. Uh, they listened to me, they took me seriously, they made me feel like I was genuinely needed. And I think that that really rubbed off in my interactions with other people. And that was really important for them and it's how we, we treated each other and how we treated each other, uh, other people. And that probably stimulated one of the reasons I got into education in, in the first place you know, um, Pete, it was just, they were just, uh, you know, just, just, just wonderful, wonderful people. And, and I think if I may, that, that really kind of pushed me to a point where I, I ran into a coach that I had. I, I, um, was my soccer coach in high school and George Wheeler. And, and he just, I just looked up to him so much. And I remember playing in a game, uh soccer game. I was a goalie in soccer as well as lacrosse. And, and there was a, uh, we're playing the top team in the state and we're keeping it zero zero with like five minutes left. And the other team had a clearing pass and it hit, I saw, it, you know, went into the sun. I missed it, went over my head. We lose the game one, nothing. So I was distraught at the end of the game. And he, and he, and he, and he, um, and I went, went into his uh, the coaching, his coaching office after the game, like, just like, ah, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And he, he looked at me, he goes, come on. you just made some unbelievable saves you 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 we played the best team in the state to a tie for almost all that time you know that was that was a great experience there and that was George Wheeler and and he is with my parents and him is probably one of the reasons I I went into coaching and I went into uh went into teaching also because of him you know yeah, just really just an amazing amazing guy
1: absolutely so were your parents by chance a coach or a teacher growing up
0: no no they weren't my, my dad my dad worked for a, the original at&t no when way. he would
1: he would my climb great grandfather my great grandfather did that as well really Climb really? telephone poles as well yes sir he would
0: climb poles and he in the basement of our house pete he had these spikes and these spikes that he would actually put around his boots and tie up on his legs. And when he climbed the pole, they didn't have, the, they didn't have the buckets then. Nope. So he would do that. Isn't that cool? You know, that, and, that
1: is so cool. And that is quite the coincidence because similar to this question, I asked my grandfather about his, his father and, uh, he worked for the old AT&T climbed, phone poles and had the spikes as well so uh a lot of similarity there learned that that's quite the uh, quite the difficult job and it's definitely changed a lot nowadays
0: yeah he was a repair man when he'd get up there and he would uh you know work on the wires and his, his he had a great story once where he um his safety line, he, he kind of, it, it didn't fall, but he, he ended up, it got too loose and he fell and he had to grab the pole and he end up getting all the splinters into his arms to, as he, as he kind of saved himself as he went down there, but extremely proud of Peter, extremely proud of the work he did. And he did that for 40 years, you know, and eventually he moved up. I mean, not, didn't climb poles for that long, but. Moved eventually into management and actually managed other repair men there
1: too. Yeah. I'm sure once you get up in the 50s and 60s, 70s, it's probably good to not be climbing those phone calls.
0: <laughs> no, no, not at all.
1: Yeah. Awesome, Dr. Yeager. So, Dr. Yeager, um, what I'd like to go ahead and dive into is if you could just tell us a little bit about why you wrote The Coaching Zone. And I'm happy to have the hard copy here, ladies and gents. Hopefully you'll be getting here soon, if you're listening. (laughs) Dr. Yeager, could you give us an overview of why you decided to write the book?
0: Well, you know, it stems back from that 11 year old event and, and also a lot of other events I've had in my exposure to really good coaches and also not so good coaches also having that opportunity to coach myself and to, to mentor coaches. I, I, one of the things that, uh, you know, I, I, think of, it's another story that, that comes to me that really, I, you know, I, I look back upon that really prompted me to, to eventually look at this book, um, you know, was when I was in college and I was playing, uh, playing lacrosse for Boston State College. They're now UMass Boston. And, uh, and uh, I was a goalie in lacrosse also, and some people call goalies in lacrosse courageous. Other people call them stupid for getting hit with the ball. I'm not. I'm not sure what category I was in. Depends on the day. So, anyways, we were playing uh, Bowdoin College in our first game of the season, and our our field was three miles away from our, our campus, and uh, and so I'd get a ride there, and I I'd get a ride with Danny Hayes, and Danny Hayes had this old 1971 Chevy Impala, with light blue. Wings on the back of it, you know, sweet ride. And we would go over there on Storro Drive along the Charles River every day. And our field was Smithfield. It was a Brighton town field made up with three blades of grass, a bunch of broken glass from the neighborhood bar, and a lot of dirt, separated by a chain link fence to the pristine fields of Harvard and Harvard Stadium. So it looked like you know if you take the old Super 8 movies, it looked like we, I was playing at Harvard with a stadium in the background, but no, no, it wasn't there, you know. And so I got there, and I was really excited for for how I was playing, especially how I had played the previous summer, and uh, and then I uh, you know was excited for the team, and so and I went out there and I played absolutely awful. I was terrible. I basically sucked. It was it was awful. And, and it was almost to the point where I wish the coach could have taken me out of the oh, game. But but my goalies weren't ready for the prime time at all. So I stuck I stuck there. And, I, you know, you know, athletes know that and coaches know that when in situations. You know, you, you, this is the way it is. You got to stay oh, yeah.
1: with
0: it. Yep. Make lemonade out of it. Did not did not did not work there that day. So after the game, got back to my dorm, and of course, you know, that little cross at that time was really my identity. It was, it was, it was what I was all about, and therefore my identity was being crushed by this poor performance, even though that narrative I really wasn't totally true, I was believing it. And so, of course, I couldn't go to the class the next day because I was grieving, uh, you know, because of my identity. But there was potential redemption two days later because we were playing Middlebury at home at Smithfield again, Middlebury College, a really good team also. So, you know, uh, we, we, we started getting, you know, we got on the road to get over there in Danny Hayes' car. And what happened is it was Red Sox home opener and we couldn't get out of the Fenway area near our campus. And we were an hour late because of our own home game because of the gridlock of people in the cars. Yep. So eventually we got, we got over to the field and Middlebury was already there. And their head coach, Rob Pfeiffer, had this big guy, high and tight haircut, you know, uh, barking out instructions. We're a bunch of ragtag hippies. Picture me with dark hair down to here. I like it in the middle. Of the bend, okay. And 70 then another swag. Guy, 70 swag. Yeah. Yeah. Not anymore. <laughs> uh, and, and Ronnie and Jimmy on the team, Ronnie, um, Ronnie, Ronnie had this long hair, too, and had a beard. And he shaved half his beard off before the game to pump us up. And that- uh, I'm not sure what that was about. Yeah, shaved half
1: his beard. Oh, wow. That, that's quite the look. It's quite the look.
0: Uh, anyways, uh, so uh, it, it, that comes back in the story in a couple minutes. Because I got out there, and I got in the goal. And I, I'm really nervous because I want to make the first stop, first save. First shot goes in, it's a really good shot over my right shoulder. But back in the back of my mind goes, and there's a term called the drunken monkey. And that monkey mind is like, my mind's going around. Well, I am an imposter, I'm not good, da 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 da. Just racing, saying, okay, okay, slow down, take a deep breath, slow things down here. Well, the second shot goes through my legs, five hole, And I'm thinking, oh no, okay, so slow down. Both good shots, but still I hadn't made a save. Then one of the Middlebury players was up at the top of the box, took a real hard shot, a real screamer. Boom, goes off the top of my helmet, almost goes to half field. The, the deflection looks cool, doesn't hurt because I have helmet on, but I'm in the zone, puts me right into the zone. Okay, and Pete, you know what that's like. Absolutely. And get there as much as we'd like to get. And the ball became like a beach ball. And for the next 30 shots, I was right on it and stopped them all. And we ended up winning the game six to two. But well, I think I'm one of the few people that remember the, name, the score of the game because what happened in the second period profoundly influenced my life. The coach of the other team called a timeout. So he barked out, Middlebury, timeout. And the officials blew their whistle. And Middlebury dutifully ran over to their bench. And uh, Boston State players to their bench. And if you remember Ronnie, he runs to their bench. There is something wrong with a half beard, <laughs> half beard. He goes through their, 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 huddle. What are you doing? Ronnie? we got Boston accent. What are you doing? He goes through jumps on the back of the coach of the other team. And, and the Middlebury players don't know what to do. He gets off the back of the coach. The coach turns around. Ronnie takes off his helmet. He's still got half a beard. They look up at each other. They smile they tear up and they embrace. And I'm going, what's going on here? The backstory. When Ronnie heard the voice, the actual inflection and intonation of Ronnie, of Coach Pfeiffer's voice, the last time he had heard that specific voice was in the jungles of Vietnam because Pfeiffer was his platoon commander. And then they were there in the jungle together. Wow. And that everything stopped. It was, it was the time stood still there. Longest time out ever. When we started hearing about that story there, whoa. To this day, I'm still friends with a couple guys on Middlebury because of the connections that we made that day. You know, uh, absolutely. That's really powerfully important. So, with that, and as I began to see and asked and, you know, you know worked with coaches, and over time, and and just decided finally to put together and work on a, on a project that really, really addressed some of the things that matter most in coaching. And I think a lot of it's out there, you know, uh, and, and, and I just thought I'd do it with a kind of a different angle of vision in the direction that I came. And what I... I saw it over time that there are so many different skills that in so many different ways that we associate sports with business and how you can use that in being well outside, you know, of the sporting arena. But also I kind of bring in what we call more of a um, boardroom to the locker room perspective, Pete, you know, it's where there's actually some skills that I've In positive psychology, skills that 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 actually are used in business that can actually be transferred over to sport. And what I do in the book is I talk a lot about those and and how some coaches use, many coaches use these and don't even realize they're doing it. You know, uh, some effective coaches, but also a variety of other types of 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 strategies that are used out there uh, to make to to allow for coaches to be as effective as possible. But it also allowed me, as I, I went through there, is to really look at you know, uh, getting, getting away from the X's and O's, because there's, there's plenty of that stuff out there, but really looking at three major areas. And this kind of follows a lot of the work that Daniel Goleman's done in his book, in his book called Focus. He's kind of the emotional intelligence guru. And he talks about focusing on self, focusing on others, and focusing on the wider world. And I began to kind of transfer that over to focusing on leader or coach self-management. How well do coaches, how well, how reflective are coaches, okay? How well do they understand their strengths, okay? Their stories, their, their weaknesses, their blind spots. How well do they do that so that their stories can help them grow and become lifelong learners, you know, and I think that's really important in there, and that's been really exciting to do in working with individual and collective coaches over time. In my master class, which takes this book and works with groups of coaches, is to get them to really look at these areas. I was actually working with a group uh, last month who came in and had signed up for this from a from a um, um, a high school in Indiana and. Uh, They were really reticent coming in there. And I just kind of told a couple of stories, similar to the ones I just told you right now and got them cranking on their stories. And the buzz was amazing. They just started going and gave them a little little criteria there. You know, what's the situation? What's the action? You know, uh, what's the result? What's the insight? And they listened to each other's stories and they became richer because of that as a collect individual and a collective group. So I saw that, that that was really important of really looking at coaching self-management, then eventually getting into leading, empowering athletes, and then also to, you know, get into uh, looking at systems, you know, choreographing the team dance. What's the system look like? So it gives the coach kind of a three-pronged approach. there too.
1: And I love that, Dr. Yeager. I, I feel like out in the world, there's so many tools and, and guides, so to speak, or techniques for the athlete, for the player to improve themselves. And one thing I love that you've done and you've always done and that you absolutely do in the coaching zone is that you also have that focus on development of the coach. And mm-hmm. that's uh, something that's extremely imperative to having a great team. Yeah. So to give, I may say that yes, sir. I may say this, Pete, that that it's really
0: challenging, especially you know wherever we are with COVID right now, but especially over the last twenty-four months or two years, where coaches have really had to, you know, look at different pathways to bring out their best in their athletes, where it's been really hard, and it still is hard today for coaches to actually spend the time, a dedicated time, to do this collective self-reflection. That's one of the biggest challenges when I do the masterclass It's just that coaches would say, we, we just can't get the time. We want to do it. We just can't get the time to do it. And I'm saying, you know, I, and I, I totally understand that, but I also understand how do, how do our coaches grow and how do they learn and how do they kind of can learn from each other through this actual re- reflection process?
1: Absolutely. Um. Dr. Yeager, this conversation just makes me think of uh, you always have had just a great knack of connecting with not only athletes in the lacrosse realm, but athletes and coaches from all realms of sport. I mean, rugby is very different from lacrosse, mm-hmm. r- wrestling. While at Culver, you helped the rugby team, the right. wrestling team, and these aren't just athletes in a certain age group. They're from a wide age group. So what I'm curious about, Dr. Yeager, is why do you really have that knack for being able to connect with such a, a wide range of coaches and athletes? Or how have you developed that knack? Well, it goes
0: back to that, you know, you first talked about my parents. You know, that, yes, that started the process off. It didn't happen by accident. You know, but I think over time, I've, I've always learned no matter who I'm working with, talking with, connecting with, it's just that um, they deserve the time, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, Adam Grant, who's done, a, wrote some really great books, Give and Take, and, uh, and, and a variety of other books. He's at the Wharton School at, at the University of Pennsylvania. He talked about social civility, that 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 sometimes people will uh, selective civility, where some people will only be civil to people they care about. <laughs> and right. I learned earlier on is to be civil with most people, <laughs> as many as I can be with. Okay, I like you know, that philosophy. It's uh, important. Yeah, and uh, you know, and not being selective about it, because that's easy. That's I think I call that lazy thinking when you don't do that that allows me to stay on this side of it and I don't have to take a risk. But I, you know, I think the thing is to get to know people and to, to, to welcome them into a conversation. And it comes from a level of, I think, vulnerability trust and developing that and helping develop that in people. And, uh, and vulnerability trust is a term that, that uh, Patrick Lencioni talks about in his leadership uh, circles. It's, it's pr- The predictive trust, he says, is basically, I know your next move, but vulnerability trust is really to be honest and open so you feel you can have these honest conversations. Just that we have a level of vulnerability trust, Pete.
1: We had some
0: conversations, important conversations years ago. Okay? Oh, yes, we did. The nature of sport and the nature of living. Okay, And uh, we trusted each other. So we're allowed to be we didn't have to fake it to make it. We allowed ourselves to be who we are. And um, I think that's really important. And I try to do that with any, everybody I talk, with any kind of new group, when I'm working with a uh, a business group. Uh, um, um, I, I just finished a, a gig in Chicago with a group that came from around the country that is really working with uh, engineers and manufacturers. And, and they're working in the area of, uh, you know, and they work with... Uh, with landfills and the bottom line is that they, they, they make these landfills, you know, they work with the gases there to make this, these things work and sustain. It's really powerful. And I learned about the business and that helped me learn about them. And they are just as important as an athlete who's 14 years old coming onto the field for the first time. So I look at those things as as being very important, having a sense of keen sense of, you know, empathy, you know, understanding their perspectives, like emotional empathy, if, if it brings out the emotion. And I think empathic concern, which is a third piece in there by Goleman talks about this. And it's basically empathic concern is what do you need from me? I'm here for you. Not that in every relationship I connect with somebody that I have an unconditional positive regard. I mean, unconditional caring for, but I try to you know, and I think that's really important. And, um, and we don't see that all the time. And it's really challenging. And then, and then being cooped up during COVID really challenged that also, because I was having, I was doing that with athletes and teams and other businesses um, online like this, you know, yes. um, and they had to do it that way. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I think those are the things and you know, I think that that's really important and, and to, get, to get people, to whether they're, you know, athletes, whether you're a wrestler, a rugby player, okay, or a lacrosse player, to also have that, getting them to understand that they can have a, you know, kind of have some, some self-compassion for themselves. And my hope through my compassion for them, they can bring that out in themselves and so not be so hard on themselves in sport and in other things.
1: I love it, Dr. Yeager. Really uh, approaching everyone just as a human first and going from there. I feel like is a, a key piece of that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was actually speaking with a principal from an elementary I mean, no, a superintendent of a school district today in Indiana about a program. Uh, and uh, he says, my job is to make sure the kids are loved and they're safe. And if you met this person, you would know right away, you'd want to hang around with him. Yeah. And I think that's so cool. You know, that, 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 that's it's, 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 it's compressed to that, that that's what he wants to do, especially during the last couple of years. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Uh, That aligns with a big philosophy that I love, which is keep it simple. Mm -hmm. Keep it simple. Yeah. Uh, I feel like nowadays things can sometimes get, more complicated than they've ever been sure, sure if you're if you're able to boil down what you want to accomplish and what your goal is and what your role is uh, in in simple terms it can really help give a lot of clarity yeah uh, exactly yeah that's that's great advice so dr yeager next question i've got is in your opinion, what separates a good coach from a great coach?
0: Yeah, I think you know. And then people are going to define great coaches as a you know a lot of different areas. You've heard this before. You know, well, was it the wins and losses, and or was it you know that that he you know he he was he made us feel like family there and 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 stuff like that. I, I, I think I think that the I think the greatest coaches are are those that that, that keep it simple in making a, a, a difference in, in in their athletes' lives, and getting them to fish for themselves and getting them to grow or well, you know um, through the experiences that they have in sports, because sport, you know, we as we know, sports really sets you up for some really cool and challenging things. And, uh, Absolutely. coaches help, help athletes navigate through that, getting them the sense of, of self-worth and helping them to develop their own psychological capital, you know, of hope, confidence, resilience, and optimism, I think do wonders. And the, and then, and then the, uh, the statistics come when that's done, it shows up there, you right. know, uh. You know, and and it goes back, and that's when you hear these athletes talking about coaches. You know that they just like, whoa, that's a, you know, you know, you know, what was it about that person? And they just go back and they remember these little things. You know that 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 the coach did. I mean, and and many times it wasn't, uh, you know, that it, it, you know might have had something to do with an, an action on the field, or it might have had something to do, you know totally off the field, but I think that's, that's where things. And and I think that's where that, you know, I think really great coaches, you know, love their players. uh, And they, uh, they try to keep them safe so that they can navigate and play these sports to, to, to grow as, as people,
1: you know? Absolutely. It makes me think about the great coaches I've had in my life were the ones who I felt first and foremost, they cared for me, not as a player, but as a person first and as a mm-hmm. man first. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then the play on the field was second to that. And, right, right, right. And um, Coach Knowlton was a big proponent uh, for me in regards to that area. He, he showed me that he, he not only cared about me as a player, but cared about me developing as a man. And um, <laughs> I feel like if any coach is able to do that, it, it can really go a long way. And one parallel I'd say it draws the business is uh, when a boss or a manager is able to show their employee that they really care about their development as a person, as a professional. Right. And then, the results or the sales or the, the metrics they need to hit come second. um, That's when great things can occur. And um, leads me right into my next question, Dr. Yeager, which I have a lot of fellow friends who are great athletes, who are former athletes, collegiate athletes. Uh, I, myself, I played rugby at Baylor. My question is, Dr. Yeager is, One thing that is a tough transition for a lot of people is they've been a great athlete their whole life. They excelled in high school. They excelled in college and their respective sport. And then when they have to make that transition to the real world, sometimes it can be really difficult, say when they're around that age of 23, 24, 25, on the field, they were extremely successful. They had really mastered their craft, but when they have to go into the real world, they struggle because it's not the same playing field, so to speak. What is some of your advice that maybe someone who's going through that transition?
0: I think it is real, it is challenging, really challenging for a lot of people. And the thing is, I believe it goes back to, I had mentioned just a couple moments ago about self-compassion is to actually, there's a grieving process that, that you go through with this because there's a type of a loss here. There's an opportunity where you had, where you had opportunities to play at a high level and brought an incredible amount of joy to you in your life and other people's lives for, for a number of years. And, um, and then you're not able to, uh, you can recall it through memories, but it's really hard to replicate in the day-to-day life, you know. And so, I, I think that that's one thing is to have some self-compassion, understand that that really, yeah, it's tough. It, it, it does feel tough. But then, as time goes on, you know, as you as as people find themselves in careers, in the workforce, in different workspaces. They begin to see how the teaming piece connects with what they're doing. You know, I mean, uh, I was speaking once with a, an individual who's a uh, he, he. He was a principal in a uh, in a large uh, Boston residential commercial residential commercial uh, real estate company, and he would. He would always hire the athletes, especially team sport athletes, and oh, he yeah. was doing that because of their capacity to connect the dots and to understand what that was. It was like it was like some of the training was already done. Oh, absolutely! They, yeah,
1: absolutely. And I know I'm
0: fire here, right? And I think that that seeing those skills and how those skills work, you know, uh, some of those skills with teaming. Just how you're communicating, and you know, even though you're looking, your metrics are different, okay? Yep. You know, but you're still doing things that allow that connection. You know, Absolutely. I know, you know, like, you know, I mean, uh, I think maybe I have one save left in me, but I'm probably not going to get back in the goal ever again. <laughs> and, but, 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 I kind of vicariously lived through through seeing other coaches. You know, and do yep. their thing and working with them, having the conversation with you tonight you know that's that's very valuable for me and uh and it allows people when they can start making slowly making that transition. it allows for them to to see the value in that and then also to celebrate what they've done in the past and 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 you know what's really amazing is the power of those connections that many of those athletes had young earlier on when they kind of connect with each other through reunions. Oh you yeah. Know, it is like, um, it's all, it's in Let's say it's interesting. Okay. You know, it's
1: a, it definitely say is. Least,
0: but, it, but it, but it brings, and it brings less of what was the score of the game back to how were we, how do we care for each other and yeah. in many ways, love each other. As, as being members of this team for this certain period of time in our lives. And I think that's really, really powerful. And that, and that, and I think by all athletes doing that, former athletes doing that, allowing for those cool things to come out in their transitions and work over time can actually bring out the best in them. You know, um, but you just can't dismiss, you can't dismiss, you're no longer doing this. Right. You know, it's like, you know, I think in our sports psych class, uh, we read an article once, and it was about a person says, "I'm not this person anymore." Yep. And you're always that I, person. I remember. Always. That. I think I remember that article. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Y- exactly. You know, you are always that person. Yep. Okay. Or, or 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 a fan says, "Well, you're not him anymore." And <laughs> go, "Whoa." Yeah, you know, well, yeah, maybe I can't dribble the ball and take the shot like I used to, but I'm still this person, and I think that's that's really powerful, and that that legacy can live with us, you know, of what we did, and uh, you know, and I, you know, I've told that story many times about the Boston State Lacrosse, and I probably told it. You heard it when I spoke with you, the wrestling team, or anything. I
1: love it every time
0: yeah but but it never gets old because it was so formative for me but it's really helped me in everything else i've done in my you know my work life and stuff like that you know to understand that and the importance behind that and the connection the collective the power of Absolutely. that really really important
1: i could agree more dr yeager and um for example my transition from being a uh, a mm-hmm. rugby player to being a professional was was difficult like a lot of others right. are, a lot of others have it and uh i went from being the captain of the baylor rugby team we had just uh won the red river championship for the first time in our school's history and i was on cloud nine rugby wise And then, uh, had to make the transition to, I initially worked as a salesman for Cadillac and it was a (laughs) whole different playing field and the transition was tough. But when I was able to understand that there was a lot of good that I need to keep with me from that experience, maybe I'm not doing that right now, but, um, a lot of the lessons and the accountability and the teamwork and just the camaraderie is something that could be valuable for me in the workplace. And, uh, Mm -hmm. eventually it began to translate. So I think it's, uh, exactly. It's a valuable lesson that everyone should be able to hold on to that part of their life, but you do have to approach it as, okay, that's, a part of me that's gone now it's still there
0: but it's different it's yeah. still
1: there but yeah. it's different absolutely
0: yeah exactly and you say the term the term eventually is an operational term there because it's something that you can't turn the switch off and on and and it's something that we, we we go through and it's part of it's part of the life experience you know and then you know that that of, of doing that you know is yeah. you know you know, Coach K's finish up his coaching career sometime, either Saturday night or, or Monday night. And, uh, you know, and you talk about whether whether people care for him or not. The bottom line, he's been doing this. He's been coaching since, I think, uh, I'm not sure, since 1980, you know, at yep. Duke and, uh, and had another 10 years of coaching before that. Uh, the The importance is that that he really relishes the experiences of everything that happens there so he has just an incredible you now will that be an adjustment for him i don't know you know and, and there probably will be you know when he doesn't get into come out to cameron indoor stadium as as the head coach next year but but as maybe a mentor and he's still going to be working for duke as a uh you know as a uh spokesperson for duke in the athletic department and i think i think I think this is really important part of that, our, our, our capacity to allow ourselves to feel what that's like to go through that transition. And there's a certain degree, and I don't like to use the term suffering because suffering can be really used for something really even dire, but there yeah. is a feeling and a suffering that it is like, I, I don't have this anymore and I wanted it. And it's, it's, it's psychically painful for me. And, absolutely and, and, I, and I wish I had that, there, you know, and, you know, it, it goes with same thing with a person who has a career ending injury. You know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's just, it, there is, there is a psychic painfulness of that, but, but also that, 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 that there's meaningful and significant things that can happen because of going through that, not just because you played, it's because you've got to go through that.
1: And, agree and more.
0: Uh, yeah yeah so i mean i i think that's important now somebody might argue well i i was fine i didn't have to go through anything well that's that that, that that's great okay but many people do
1: and, and they when you do that do.
0: They, they, and then they got they, they, there's there's that there's that that piece that that's really important and hopefully other people who care about other people pick up on that and, and allow for them to to, to, to,
1: to share that and to commiserate over it. Yeah. And now a word from our sponsors. It's your man, Peter Ham checking on in here. And today, ladies and gents, I'm going to give three simple things that anyone can do that helps the show tremendously. What? Number one, ladies and gents, number one is to simply invite your Facebook friends to like the page. All you got to do is go to Facebook, type in hand planet podcast. It'll take you to our page. You will then see a section that says invite friends. You click select all it sends your friends a little notification. It's not too overbearing and it invites them to like the page. Uh, this is tremendously valuable. It is number one, number two. Number two, ladies and gents, is to provide a good old five star review on Apple Podcast, Spotify, and/or Facebook. And thirdly, y'all, is engage. Engage, engage, engage. Simply feel free to share anything. Feel free to comment on anything. Say whatever you want. Uh, you can engage on our page via Facebook. You can engage on our uh, Instagram. We've got Ham Planet and we also have at ham planet clips and we're on TikTok. talk i gave in all the kids are doing it so now we're doing it TikTok talk at ham planet clips and of course youtube ham planet podcast clips so ladies and gents that's going to wrap up the video for today these are three simple actions that you can do that will help the ham planet podcast tremendously ladies and gentlemen welcome back to that good old hand planet podcast we're happy to see you we've got the one and only john yeager in the building the author of the coaching zone dr yeager what inspired you to write this book well basically a lot lots of
0: you know my experiences i think in sport and and the people that i got to know my own coaches fellow coaches and and really kind of through through those stories that that kind of for, for over 45 years or so that really kind of resonated with me in my in when I when I when I played sports and coached. And then really thought it was just just really time to put something together that really, you know, I think could could have a different angle of vision on how coaches kind of looked at at, at being lifelong learners in the sport.
1: Absolutely. And in regards to the book, Dr. Yeager, is there anything that's come from it that you didn't necessarily expect to happen after you published it?
0: I think in some ways I've uh, you know I've I've had a wonderful opportunity to connect with a lot of people that I never would have had you know chance to connect with through doing these master classes. Uh, and also got a chance to sit down with a co- lot of coaches that I kind of knew, but not that well, and to get to know them a lot better. And that that's that's been exciting, you know. Uh, kind of barnstorming around the country and doing this, you know, uh, that that's that's been wonderful. And uh, and and uh, you know, and I think in some ways of of, of you know, this is, what I did was not reinvent the wasn't reinventing the wheel. I was just taking things that are really commonsensical, okay, but but really taking it to another level so that people can be explicit and and serious about their approaches to to their applying their craft on the field and off the field.
1: Absolutely. Um, Dr. Yeager, my next question is, so as a long time teacher and coach to many athletes. What in your words, taking a step back away from the playing field um, Mm -hmm. and focusing a little bit on the teaching side, what in your words is the most important aspect to take away from schooling? For example, I, you know, went to Culver for four years. I learned a lot of pre-calculus and I learned a lot of Latin and I learned a lot of many things, humanities. But within that, there was a lot of lessons that I really took away that has stuck with me for life, accountability, responsibility, showing Mm -hmm. up on time, making eye contact. the The list goes on and on. But uh, I'd love to hear from a teacher's perspective what What's the most important part of schooling? I
0: think I think it's I think it's growth. I think it's 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 growth. It's 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 you know um, for you at Culver and for 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 other people in high school, for students in high school, student athletes in high school. It's a it's it's a developmentally important time of one's life. In who you are around, in what you do, and uh, or what you don't do, um, it, it makes makes a difference, you know. Um, and and I and I think, as an educator for many years, I saw that you know that looking at where people were. Not that that students came into my classes as blank slates. No, not, no, not at all. But but having the opportunity to connect with them so that they could they could learn and and make some changes to fish on their own to grow and to connect with each other. You know, I, I, you know, I, I, I think for a while I was a sage on the stage of kind of getting up there and with oratory and, you know, as you said, I'm animated and do things like that. Yeah. But I think also what was really important was the connection that, that the students are having with each other and how they learn from each other also know, and how they take that, whatever the material is, you know, whether you're in the classroom or if you're in the dorm or the barracks or on the athletic field, I think that's, that's really, really important. So, you know, my metric is saying, okay, this is where, this is, this is where, where, where you were day one of class. Okay. This is our last class. So where are you? And uh, hopefully the students, the student was saying, I'm still in progress. Okay still under construction. But, but I think that, that was the important thing there. You, you mentioned about the term sh- showing up. I, I've got this wristlet right here. And it says right here, it says, show up, right? And this is from uh, uh, Keith Bugby, who was the best man in my wedding. Uh, Keith's daughter died in childbirth uh, when she was having her third child. I'm not sure how many years ago it was, uh, not that long ago. And he, he had been the coach over 30, I think he's 37 years as the head coach of Springfield College men's lacrosse team. And when he came back, you know, to the team, he went to them and he says, look, look I, I know, you know, lots, lot, lot, lots of stuff's happened. Stuff happens, okay, and some stuff is not very good at all. But I'm going to dedicate to every day, show up, be right there all the time. And uh, I wear this every day now. In honor love of him, it. in honor of his daughter. But it, it goes to the idea of showing up. You know, showing up, being there. You know, even if you don't feel like being there, you are there. Because then you make a difference in other people's lives in the world. And I think that's critically, critically important. You know? so absolutely you know and so so i think that as an an educator i think educators want to see the metrics want to see the needle moved over time oh yeah and as that needle's being moved it's 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 the kind of it's it's the academic it's it's the emotional mental social you know physical spiritual piece too and moral piece you know
1: absolutely um it's a common phrase that showing up is just half the battle 50% of the battle i feel like a lot of people may sometimes look at that phrase and be like oh it's just a cliche phrase but uh, yeah that story right there just goes to show that you know showing up really is such an impactful thing and one way i like to think about it is I'm human. I have trouble showing up to all types of things, more things than I'd (laughs) like to admit, but, but a big part of being an adult, being a leader, being a father, being a coach is understanding, not just the impact it'll have on you of just showing up, but the impact you'll have on, everyone around you everyone who's associated Mm -hmm. with what's going on and that's in my life personally dr Yeager. that's something that i've continually began to grasp over the years is that the showing up and your actions they go far beyond just how they affect you Mm -hmm. and having that broad overview of the impact your actions and presence can have is, uh, is a really powerful thing. And it can make you do things that maybe you've never even done before.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Um, it so, takes selfishness out of it. You know, it's, it's, it's that you are making a difference in other people's lives by being in that airspace.
1: No doubt about it. So, so yeah, you're speaking of uh, selflessness. You were nearly teaching for two decades at Culver, committed your life, big chunk mm-hmm. of your life, to teaching, educating others. And, of course, Culver is very special to me. So, mm-hmm. if you could, Dr. Yeager, just reflect on what Culver was to you, why it was special to you. I'd love to hear it.
0: Well, I I came, my family, my wife, Laura, and my daughter, Megan, was three years old when we came to Culver in 2000. And uh, we had moved from Boston. Our families were from from all, both my wife's family and my family are from New England uh, area. And it was a huge move for us. We had followed John Buxton out there who was, had been the head of school there for just a year or two, because I, I really liked his, his leadership style. And, but it was a big move for us. And, uh, and the first, first year and a half was a little rocky. And it was a little rocky just because it was just an adjustment of, uh, of being in a you know, different place and doing, doing some things a little bit differently. But over the years, the, what really struck me was the mission of the school and the commitment that, that people who really bl- 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 led school breathed it day in and day out really uh showed up every day you know and in school you have to as an adult you need to show up every day okay
1: absolutely do
0: and 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 then that the you know and then people had to get the job done which is that other that other phrase that we hear all the time get do your job and i think it was through working with other people who did their job i did my job and collectively we made the place a better place for our students to grow and develop, I think was really, really important. You know, uh, that, that, that's really kind of had resonated with me. You know, I, I was just really blessed to become a professor emeritus when I left there. And so I've got this little plaque or, a post, you, know, you know, a little um, certificate in my office. And I just look back and I go, wow, I was there for nineteen years. That's it's, and it's you know, uh, and it's right around the corner because my wife Laura still works at at, at Culver, uh, but but um, it's still Culver, right? You know, and it's I've, I've gone back out to help with the uh, our uh, prep lacrosse team, which is much stronger than the, the teams that I coached earlier on in the two thousands. Oh wow! But
1: That's saying a lot. That's saying a lot. I mean, Kohler lacrosse, it's hard, yeah. hard to get, hard to level up from already being one of the best teams in the nation.
0: Yeah. But they, they respect the legacy of the teams that came before them, which is really important with John Berzner, who's the coach there now has really helped to uh, get them to understand that, you know, that, that, that this program grew and developed over time. And they're just, you know, when alums come back, they are, uh, it is a really wonderful experience to come back and, you know, when they meet with the players like that, you know, and I think, I think that's an important thing. And so, um, you know, um, I, th- I think that, that that's something that, that, that the Culver, Culver does, you know, I mean, It's just, and it's, and I think, you know, at the end of every year when there's graduation, which, and I know you've told a lot of people about this, uh, Pete, because if you, if you've never been to Culver and haven't gone to Culver, it's hard to get Culver. Oh yeah. You know, and that graduation weekend is just an amazing event. And, and it's, it's just not just, you know, it's not just pomp and circumstance when we're you know, it, it's an amazing thing, and for me, the most exciting part always was baccalaureate. And baccalaureate was the when all the seniors met in the chapel before, and they sang the uh, the Culver song, and
1: uh, uh, a lot of tears shed that day.
0: Oh, oh, ye men of Culver, uh, for, the, for the for the for the CMA cadets, great song. and that just always got me going. And there was always a uh, always a cadet who would sing that song he would do a solo and that for me every year was the final the finalization or also kind of the 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 the, the year was was coming to the end yep and, and and to know and to feel I'm getting goosebumps thinking about this saying this that was it right there you know when that happened you know yep. uh and uh and then suddenly, uh, everybody's gone. Within five hours, four hours, the campus is empty. It reminds me, and I mentioned this in the book, my friend Kevin Hicks, who's the uh, president of the Stevenson School out in Pebble Beach, California. And he talks about this in sports, but you know, he says, right now the fields are empty. And, and, that, and, then, and the campus is empty after the oval there you know, and and everybody's gone, gone home, everybody's packed their bags and people have gone to their, their postgraduate parties or gone straight to the airport or drove home. But, but the thing is that, that the people make up Culver. They do, but there's a pull, there's a pull and a magnetism that brings people to this place. And, uh, when people ask me about it, still uh, I speak so fondly of it. You know, if, you know, when I go down to the fitness center, or if uh, you know, or if I'm helping out with the Culver Prep team, you know, uh, or just taking a walk around campus, it just is uh, something really, really special, and like I've never left. And I think as graduates, when you folks come back for reunions, that that it's like you never left.
1: It really is. And, um, that final, final ceremony that you're speaking of distinctly remember it distinctly remember giving you a big bear hug, Dr. Yeager. I think I've got, yeah, I think I've got some pictures, maybe shedding a few okay. tears, Yeah. yeah. hugging. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Remember all that. the great professors and, and coaches and, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to explain Culver. It's <laughs> it really is. I think that's, a commonality among all alumni if they try to explain it to someone else mm-hmm. yeah it's just culver yeah it is so dr yeager going back to your book in regards to the book what has made it special to you
0: i think taking the time to um uh spending the time researching it and interviewing everybody and then getting, getting it down on paper. And it was a five-year process. And I, um, my editor, the person who edited the book, um, didn't know much about sports, but she so she was able to take and make it really clear to anybody that read it, that they would understand it.
1: <laughs> the, <laughs> and clarity, that really... the clarity and the, personableness of the entire book it just it flows so smoothly
0: well thank you I appreciate that yeah she did Catherine Britton did a great job with that you know there too and and I just I think I think it was kind of living the dream of of working on it and really putting the you know it it was funny that I had worked on it a lot and I just needed to I needed in probably another good year working on it Yep. to kind of get done and and my motivation was a little bit off, but what happened is I, uh, I ran into Brooke Wheeler and she was a class of 2003. She was a, uh, pre senior prefect. And she was a, uh, uh, she played, she was a hockey goalie, played a hockey goalie in college. And she now has her own business. And she actually was speaking at Culver. you know, uh, came in in February. This is right before COVID hit, I think. And, uh, and uh january february and uh, a couple of years ago and she uh, you know so my wife and uh and i took her out to uh, uh, uh the lake house grill for dinner and we got talking and she has a great book i'll call one trusted adult which is wonderful you know and uh coaches could could learn a lot from reading that book and uh and um and that just gave me the impetus to say, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to go after this now. And so, uh, it was good. Then I had her, uh, I heard pre, you know, I had her do a, uh, 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 put a testimonial recommendation in the book, uh, for me, and which was great, but was another Culver connection, which was important, you know, within that, to, to help, uh, take it to that point, you know,
1: no doubt about it. So, one thing I love that you mentioned is that you needed that one last push to really focus in on it, dial in on it to get it done. And that makes me think of a, a concept I like to uh, gravitate towards, which is having singularity of focus in life mm-hmm. and uh, having that singularity of focus is what really helps people accomplish great things so what I'm curious about Dr. Yeager is in your opinion do you do you believe having singularity of focus a a single goal in mind for example completing the book or winning a championship or wanting to get to this level in your line of work Is having that singularity of focus essential to accomplishing greatness?
0: Um, Some people would disagree. I tend to think, though, um, for me, at least, having a singular focus, okay, even though there's other focuses that we need to have in our lives, in other areas, we don't let everything just go by the wayside. But, 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 but to be pre- present with the task is critically important. The same thing is uh, being present with the task and singularity of focus when you're on the athletic field. You, you, if you're not, then that drunken monkeys act in a way and you're gonna make mistakes. You know, um, so I think, I think that, that, that's critically important. Are people able to, to, to take different focuses and compartmentalize at different times and do things? Oh yeah really, really good at that. People are good at that. Um, I, I think just, yeah, having that focus there and and, 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 keeping that, that, that present moment, that, that level of mindfulness. And when your mind begins to wander, to notice it, be curious about it and say, hmm, what's the task I need to be doing right now? Okay. I need to get back to that. Something when I talk doing mental prep with athletes, I talk to them about that you know, oh, who, who they're because they're coming off the game. And I say, okay, be curious about it. Tolerate it and say, don't say, oh, that's not good. No, just say, hey, I'm having those thoughts. And so what do you need to go back to do right now? I got to go back to doing this, this or that. And I think that's critically
1: important. Absolutely. Asking simplicity, that question. Simplicity. Yeah. Simplicity and always tr- trying to be aware of, okay, what matters most? right now mm-hmm. is imperative mm-hmm. it's something I struggle with every day um but being at, being able to have that awareness is is so key mm-hmm. Dr. Jaeger so my next question is you know I love you I'm a little biased I think the coaching zone is for anyone and everyone but in your words Dr. Yeager who is the coaching zone for who's the perfect reader. The perfect reader is for a coach who
0: youth high school, college and a youth coach, who's really serious about looking to, looking to expand the social, emotional aspects of that uh, along with college coaches and, and high school coaches who are lifelong learners. Okay. We're constantly wanting to learn to, to kind of get a different spin not a different spin, but a different angle of vision on, on, on how they can be even more effective and enjoy the process even more as they go out there. And that's you know, basically looking at those three main parts of the book, you know, you know, coaching self-management, leading and empowering others, and, and actually choreographing the team dance and getting, getting some, some, some other types of strategies in there that are typically do not come in coaching books.
1: I love it. Dr. Yeager. I have my final questions for you. And mm-hmm. it is one that I always love to hear the response to, which is if you could go back to 25 year old John Yeager, don't know if you were a hippie at 25, but I if, out of it yeah, <laughs> yeah, if you could go back <laughs> to 25 year old John Yeager and give him some life advice, What would that life advice be and why?
0: Uh that's a great question. As I mull over that. I I think Pete, it's 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 no matter what you do, do good. Do good. So
1: I love do what you do
0: well. Do, what, do, do, under, do under others that gets back to that civility piece and do good and to know that, to always have that as a mantra. So not getting caught up in selfishness or selfish stuff, but coming back and making sure that, that you're, 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 you're in present moment with, with doing good.
1: I love that. That's my answer.
0: And I'm holding my, I'm, I'm sticking to
1: it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I couldn't agree more. I, I like to say I've got a philosophy that's very similar to that, which is just be a good man and everything else falls into line. Sure. Well, Dr. Yeager had such a great time tonight. Always a pleasure and honor catching up with you and working our listeners connect with you learn more about the book learn more about the masterclass what's the best place for them to go
0: well uh the book's on amazon kindle and paperback uh the uh um our, our the website is thecoachingzonebook.com thecoachingzonebook.com and then um you know i i am at john at com. john at com. but also you can look me up on uh, LinkedIn, uh, or Facebook, you know, typically there I'm on Twitter and Instagram, but more so on Facebook and LinkedIn. And also there's the coaching zone pages on, um, on all those sites too. So love, love to, love to hear from you.
1: Love it. Y'all definitely make sure to get yourself a copy of the coaching zone next level leadership in sports. Dr. Yeager is filled with knowledge, and as y'all heard, this is five years of blood, sweat, and tears, and a lot of interviews, and uh, a lot of value packed into Mm -hmm. one book. So, couldn't recommend it enough. Dr. Yeager, it's been a great evening, and looking forward to continuing to stay in touch, Mm -hmm. and... Ladies and gentlemen, as we always say, if you enjoyed tonight's episode, make sure to share it with your mom, dad, brother, sister, uncle, cousin, best friend, even with Rick down the street. (laughs) Because as we always say, you can never overdose on the good vibes, ladies and gents. With that being said, we will see your beautiful faces soon.